Hey, one of my favorite Sundays is actually today, and let me tell you why. So today, if you're here, you picked a great day to come to church, because you get a hybrid. You're going to get Pastor Ron Williams coming up in just a minute, that is going to rock, going to give you a great message on Romans, but I'm also going to, I want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and give us some perspective on that, because I think that this particular Sunday is really one of the last Sundays, sort of our last sane moment before the gun goes off and we sprint through the holidays. How many people know what I'm talking about? Come on. And so, so I wanted to take just a little bit of time before Pastor Ron comes up uh, and talks to us about Romans here. But really, we have this one last chance where we get to drink in the beauty and the serenity and the peace of Thanksgiving. How many people love Thanksgiving? Where we can simply be thankful and take that in but you know what's coming, and you know the gun is going to go off after Thanksgiving, and then we're going to sprint through the holidays. And then for the next 30-something days or so, you've got Black Friday, shop till you drop. You're going to buy more. You're going to eat more. You're going to shop more. You're going to celebrate more. You're going to go to more parties, more business parties, more private parties, more Christmas parties, office, the whole thing. You're going to do more of that. And then you're going to decorate more. Some people have already started decorating. And then you have the added pressure of buying presents. Does anybody feel pressure buying presents like the speaker this morning? I feel a lot of pressure to get it right. And so how are we going to get the holiday right? Then you feel the pressure, the added pressure of pretending to like the presents that you get when you don't like them. Come on, am I the only one that does that? (laughs) And so the question is this, after the holiday, what condition do you want your heart to be in? Because your heart can get pretty beat up. Your heart cannot be in a good place. So in four days, we're going to celebrate the holiday of Thanksgiving. And then when we're celebrating Thanksgiving, what do you think of? What do you think of? Come on, talk to me. What do you think of when you think of Thanksgiving? Family, Diane, family. What else do we think of? Food. What specifically, Jackie, do we think of on Thanksgiving? Come on, maybe the family could give her mom some help. What do we think of on Thanksgiving? We think of, I didn't even hear that, something about a diet. I don't want to hear it if it's anything to do with a diet. So, (laughs) turkey, thank you. Can we give it up for our friend Thanksgiving? You think of turkey, right? So you think of eating, it's wonderfully prepared, you have this fantastic meal, and you're drinking it all in there, and Thanksgiving is over, you save up some room for dessert, maybe you go on a walk or whatever, then you have dessert, and it's over. Think about it, it's over. Thanksgiving is over, and then it's time to watch the game, time to shop, maybe time to go on a walk, whatever, but really Thanksgiving, in our minds, it shuts down, and it's over there. So how is it then that we can recalibrate and reset and have thankful hearts. And if we could have an, uh, a moment of honesty, you think about leading up to Thanksgiving, how grateful are you versus how much grumbling are you doing? How many of you have grumbled and complained this week? You know what I'm talking about? For example, how many people have complained? No, I don't want a show of hands. Last service I said no show of hands. and sh- Hands went shooting up. How many people complained about the government the last week? How many people complained about money the last week? How many people complained about your weight the last week? How many people complained about your in-laws the last week? 
<laughs> How many people have complained about your in-laws' weight this last week? That's what I'm talking about. How many of you, you complain about the traffic? I bet I complained five times about the traffic. I'm just confessing, okay? How many people complained about, we find everything to complain about, daylight saving time. Come on. Complaining that you now go to bed at 8 o'clock in the evening. You're getting old. And so what we're going to talk about then is how to be thankful. I'm going to take maybe five minutes, ten minutes, talk about how to be thankful. The scripture that I want to show you, you would stand to your feet if you're able, I'm going to read this together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. We're going to read this on the count of three. One, two, three. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. So I want to talk about this, and I got three take-homes for you. I got three take-homes for you. This will help you to be a more thankful person. Anybody want to be thankful? I'm going to tell you how to be more thankful. Number one is this, is recognize God's design here. Recognize his design. God's way is this. That you'd be a more thankful person. Specifically, you would adopt a lifestyle of thanksgiving. A lifestyle of thanksgiving. In other words, it's a divine expectation. It's really a divine mandate, if you will. The Bible talks about being thankful throughout the whole Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 92 verse 1 says this. It is a good thing to give thanks to God. It's just a good thing to build into your life. And it's something that you have to be deliberate about. You have to be intentional about to build thanksgiving into your life. You'll be a better person if you're, thank, you're thankful. All the smart people and white coats and all that done studies and shown that thankful people are better off, more healthy, have better marriages, all that than those that aren't thankful. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, and he said, Bless the Lord. Think about it. He's just doing life, and he realizes, man, I got to bless God. He says, bless the Lord. He's like talking to his soul. He says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then he gets revved up a little bit more, and he says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that was within me. He says, and forget not all his benefits, because we tend to forget, don't we, how God has blessed us. And so the Bible talks about 10 lepers when you go into the New Testament in Luke chapter 17. And there's the lepers, and they want to be healed. They're ostracized from society. They come to Jesus. They see him, and they say, Master, heal us. And Jesus said, hey, you go see the, the priests and find out, have them do a, a look at you. And it says, and on their way there to the priests, they were healed. They were healed. And what happens with nine of the 10? Do they thank Jesus? No, they just, they're just doing their thing. They're just elated uh, with, the, with the blessing. One of them comes back. Jesus said, yeah, well, like, but where's the other nine? Uh, there was 10 of you that got healed. Where's the other nine? And so the other nine are so excited about the blessing that they forgot to thank the blessor. You know what I'm talking? We can be like that. We can forget to thank God for our blessing. Forget not all of the blessing of his benefits. How about the children of Israel in the wilderness? And there they are. And God is supernaturally, miraculously raining down manna from heaven every day. There it is. It's like snow on the ground. And there it is. They're just being fed in the wilderness. And what do they do? And I'm tired of this stuff. I'm, I've had it with manna. You know, manna, banana, manna, I'm, I'm done with it. And we want quail. That's what we want. And so isn't that like us? God blesses us. Like, yeah, I'm tired with God's blessing. I want something else. But there you see the children of Israel 
illustrating that they were not grateful, but they were grumbling. And so, first of all, the divine expectation is this, really is a command, friends, to give thanks. So, first of all, the divine expectation is this, a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And secondly, we'll look at what it says. It says, in everything, give thanks. Notice it doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. Like, you can't shut down from reality, give thanks for everything. But interestingly, the scripture says, but if we unpack this, in everything, you can actually give thanks. There's nothing you will not be in that you can't give thanks. So, uh, so if you get COVID, it's not saying, hey, give thanks for COVID. If you lose everything, you go broke, and uh, the bank's foreclosing on you. It's not saying, hey, give thanks for being broke. But what it is saying is this. Even though I can't thank God necessarily for my circumstances, I can always thank him in my circumstances. In other words, I can thank him that he's working. He's working behind the scenes, maybe working in me, maybe working in my friends or my family, but he's working. Even though the storm rages all around me, I can thank God that I'm not in the boat alone. How many people know what I'm talking about? You're not alone. He's with you. I'm going to thank God even though I cannot see him working. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It says of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, but Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform, even though he couldn't see it, but he believed God. So you can do that. And so there's a song, even though I can't see it, you're working. Come on, somebody, the way maker. He is the way maker. So anyway, you can thank him that he is the way maker. He's always working. Job said this. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Well, wherever I'm at in life, I'm going to thank him because blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job said, let's pray. Let's get it right. Let's praise God right in the middle of our circumstances. When God is giving, when he's not giving, it's a time to praise. When I feel like it and I don't. So everything had bombed in his life. Think about it. His wife, his children, his health, his income. And yet he came to the conclusion, may the Lord, the Lord gives and he takes away. But blessed, I will bless his name. He's saying, I will bless the Lord, and I'm going to bless the name of the Lord because I know who gave it, and I know who take it away. Who takes it away? Acts chapter 16. There's uh, the apostle Paul and Silas did nothing wrong, completely unjustly thrown into the slammer at midnight. The Bible says, but Paul and Silas prayed and were giving praise to God. Why were they giving praise to God? Well, they were completely innocent, completely utterly innocent. But they're giving God thanks, not for jail, but in the midst of jail, knowing that God would work and he would spring them out shortly thereafter. So there's always a reason, friends, to give thanks. Uh, And it's just that sometimes we're not used to doing it. And we need to build it into our lives, a lifestyle of giving thanks uh, in all things, not grumbling here. So lastly, I'm going to close with this. Why should you do this? Like, why should you say yes? Why should you adopt a lifestyle of giving thanks in all things? Here's why. Watch what it says. It says, this is, just happens to be the will of God. How about that, friends? The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you is that God wants you to be thankful because he knows your best life is on the other side of being thankful. He knows your worst life is on the other side of just grumbling 
all the time and not having an attitude of gratitude. So this is the will of God concerning you. Romans 8, 28, and I finish with this, says this, and we know, think about it, and we know, only the people that give thanks actually know this, because otherwise we would. And we know that all things work together for the good to what? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so see it, there it is. But the people who grumble all the time, they don't know this. Something's sort of just escaped them that all things, it doesn't leave and leave room for one thing. All things work together for the good to those that love God. There is God working behind the scenes. You can't see it. You don't know when you're going to recognize it as good, but it is coming at some point. So God is working, friends. God is tweaking. God is turning. God is twisting. God is moving, working all things together for the good. And you can see ultimately one day that he's working. So I have for you these Thanksgiving cards. They're in your worship guide. And maybe you could look in your worship guide to actually see if one is there. Okay, so what I'd like to do, I want to challenge you to begin the journey afresh and just thank God. What can you thank him for? Maybe three things, maybe five things. But think of some things that you could thank him for and begin that journey. How many people ready for Ron Williams to come up and get rid of Rod Collins? Let's go, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Pastor Rod. Uh, certainly, Thanksgiving is something that we need to be reminded of, and uh, Thanksgiving to me is a remarkable time in that it seems uh, that the focus is not on me so much as it is up on the Lord. Uh <clears throat> and others. Uh, <clears throat> however, I have been groveling a little bit this morning and complaining. Uh, I have some particular problems. Uh, <clears throat> for Christ followers, really we only have two options. One is to get older, and the other is to die. <laughs> is that not encouraging right there? <laughs> well, we do know when we die, we get to go to heaven and be with the Lord, so that, that's a good thing. But the process sometimes uh, is a little aggravating. For instance, this morning I want to read the scriptures to you, but crazy things going on with my eyes. Uh, I, I have to have my glasses on to see you, but I have to take them off to read the Bible. Now, I don't know why that is. I started wearing bifocals and blended, uh, blended uh, lenses 40 years ago. Why I can read with my glasses off now, I do not know why. Uh, and, uh, you know, other parts don't cooperate the way you would like for them to cooperate. So there's kind of an art to getting old. Uh, you'll get to practice it if the Lord gives you some years. Well, I'm practicing that right now. And in the middle of it, I am finding some things that are a bit humorous, uh, like growing hair where I don't want it to grow and losing hair where I would like for it to grow. I have funny little bumps all over my body. If I were to go to a dermatologist, I would make him wealthy, just clipping those little bumps off of me. So uh, old is a whole different stage of life, but also you get a little more crusty, you get a little more bold. Yeah, you know, you're going you're gonna to go off to heaven one of these days pretty soon, so uh, they can't be mad at you too long, okay? So <laughs> let's open the Bible to... Uh, uh, chapter 8 of Romans, and I want to share uh, some really uh, great thoughts. Uh, you know, uh, Romans chapter 8 is, in my judgment, 
Uh, per, uh, I, I do. I would say it's the premier chapter in all of the Bible. And uh, uh, in the weeks ahead, I'm sure Pastor Rod will bring us back here at some point and talk some more about this. But uh, there are about three thoughts that I want to share with you, and it really grows out of my boredom with TV. There is so much silly stuff that I'm embarrassed to watch it. It's just inane. And some of it is so vulgar that I feel dirty if I watch it. <laughs> and then, though I love sports, I get tired of watching that. Uh, I do watch the Flip the House show and some of the cooking shows and some of that. But recently, I've been more interested in the, uh, the uh, History Channel. And uh, I've, I've found kind of fascinating... Um, the search for gold. Maybe you've seen some of those programs. And so they go to great extremes to find gold. Most recently, I was watching, and these guys had come up with really a clever device. Uh, they're in Alaska. They're on a, a, a rushing river. And they have found a way to find some eddies and some pools. And they go down into the, the river uh, and kind of like a deep-sea diving suit, you know, with the air and all of that. And uh, they actually, they go head first, and they're getting the silt and the rocks away, and then they bring in this uh, vacuum, big vacuum, and it just sucks the, uh, the, the debris off the broad, bottom of the river there, and it runs over a slush, and about three or four gold nuggets appeared. Well, these Guys were like little kids. I mean, they're dancing around. Boy, they have found it. They have found gold. They found these nuggets. Well, I want to talk to you about three golden nuggets that uh, are, are, are so precious because they evoke gratitude in our hearts. And I'll give you three words. They're easy to remember, if I can remember them. <laughs> the first one is atonement. The second one is adoption, and the third word is assurance. Now, <clears throat> I'll try to read this some, but I may stumble over it, so I'll go as much as I can from memory. Uh, it opens up with this. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of death. For what the law could, could not do in that it was weak through human flesh, God did, sinful flesh, he says, God did in sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. I like to think about this uh, golden nugget of atonement. Uh, atonement is a word that we don't use too much. It's kind of a churchy word, uh, but it is such a, a significant word. So uh, I've used it forever and ever, and I thought this week, I'll just, I need to look that word up in my Greek dictionary and, and uh, make myself familiar with it. I just don't want to say what I think it means. I want to know what, I, what God means by it. Well, <clears throat> atonement really has to do with reconciliation. It's bringing disparate uh, uh, enemies really together. And we don't like to think of ourselves that way, 
but because we were born in sin, and David said not only was he born in sin, he was shapen in iniquity. We do know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We do know that there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible clearly teaches that, and that God loved us while we were yet his enemies, and Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That much we do know. So atonement has to do with that. It is reconciliation. How does a sinful man or a sinful woman be connected with a holy, righteous God? And so the answer to that, we just read. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now let me emphasize the little word in. Uh, If you back up uh, a few chapters uh, to chapter 6, we read that we have been planted with Christ in the likeness of his death and also in the likeness of his resurrection. This word uh, in suggests to us a planting. And so I was working on that a little bit, and I thought, well, I, I think about a seed going into the ground. There's a planting. Or I can plant a thought in your mind, or you could plant a thought in my mind. But it's, it's more significant than that because the Greek word out of which our New Testament comes is talking about a fusing, the idea of a knitting of a bone. And I've been told this. I don't know you medical people may you know, obviously know more about this than I do. But I understand my understanding is that when a bone knits, it's actually uh, stronger than it was before it was broken. Now, if it's different than that, don't tell me. Or just leave it there. <laughs> anyway, what we do know, though, is it's an amazing thing that the body can do. I've broken several bones over the course of my life, and they've knitted together. And, and the bone becomes strong. So what it's saying is that we have been fused to Jesus Christ. We've been fused to his sacrificial offering so that his death for sin became our death for sin, so that his resurrection and power and newness of life has become a resurrection life within us, and we are new creations in him. And I want you to think of it this way, too, that this is not plan B, this is plan A. We learn in Scripture that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. There was never a time in the mind of God when you were not there with Christ. Secondly, in the fullness of time, we know that Jesus came. He came because that was the purpose of the Father. Jesus came to mediate the Father's purpose, which was what? It was to bring sinners to himself that he could enter into a relationship with him and we could enjoy him forever and ever and ever. So the Father proposes it. It's his purpose. The Son mediates it. He comes and he becomes the sacrificial offering for our sins. And then the Holy Spirit comes along as the administrator or the executor of God's purpose, and he hovers over us, and he works in our lives. This is an amazing thing to me, and I really enjoy going off with these men camps because I get to know guys, get to know their stories, and uh, some of the guys are like me. My folks came to know Christ when I was a little boy, so I grew up in Sunday school. 
And there was an awakening at a certain point in my life. I never believed myself to be a great sinner. Then I got older <laughs> and older. <laughs> and I was much more of a sinner than I thought. <laughs> in fact, one day I thought, oh, you're not just a little sinner. You're a big sinner. But some people get saved later on in life, and, and, and God just reaches down out of the mess that there's in, they're in, and there seems to be no logic to it. Uh, but God just puts them in a place. Yeah, uh, a couple of guys I met, they find God, uh, Christ in jail. And there's a cellmate that talks to them and tells them about Jesus. And then God just lifts, uh, reaches down and picks them up. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing, uh, administrating the purpose of God. And he not only convicts us of sin, but he seals us forever as God's own possession. We are sealed by the Spirit of God. That's a tremendous truth, and I trust that it will cause to spring up in you gratitude for atonement, and that will be a nugget, a golden nugget for you. The second one is, and again, I'll try this. I think it will come up on the screen. Let's see how much I can do it. Uh, with memory, it has to do with the fact that uh, we have been adopted. Now, what's it speaking of here? Uh, uh, it says that uh, we no longer have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And not only do we cry, Abba, Father, but we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of something that happened on Monday night of this week. Uh, I have been a lifelong Ram fan. I grew up in Southern California, and uh, oh, I like the Rams, but the Rams disappoint me. Monday night, I invited my grandkids to come over with some of their friends, and we're going to watch the Rams, and we're going to beat the 49ers because we hate the 49ers. If you're a Ram fan, you hate the 49ers. That's San Francisco. It's like the Giants and the Dodgers. It's just the way it is. So we're going we're gonna to beat them. We're, we're favored. We're going to win. Well, about halfway through the game, you realize, uh, fortunately, one of the uh, couples that came, they had a little one-year-old. So the little one-year-old, he's running around, and he is now the center of attention. And I'm kind of thankful for that because it's, taking the attention off the Rams who are losing. So I finally just turned the sound off, and I enjoy uh, Mackenzie and Mallory, my granddaughters, and the five or six of their friends that have come over. And these young adults, I just love being around. So uh, we have dinner together. We play games together. We just have, have a great evening. And, and when they leave, I'm kind of sad because they're just fun to be with. It just makes me revive a little bit, not feel quite as old as I am. And uh, though those other children that came, they're precious to me, they are not my heirs. My heirs would be my son and daughter and their children. And these are friends of the family, and I love them, but they are not heirs. And I think in a real sense, when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son— it, it describes God's heart to a T. He's an all-loving God. But only those who have faith in Jesus Christ are heirs. 
And because we are in him, because we are fused to him, his life has become our lives. And we know that Jesus is going to reign in majesty and might forever and ever and ever. And somehow we are participants in that. Our great privilege in the here and now is to proclaim the kingdom of God, complain, uh, uh, to uh, uh, preach, to com- preach the glory of Christ, the authority of Christ, and salvation through Christ. And that is a participation with Christ in his uh, inheritance, if you will. And I need to remind you that which Christ gets out of redemption is you. It's me. It's we, we are the ones he has atoned for. And in this life, it is the Holy Spirit then who draws us to Christ, and we have a spirit of adoption, not a spirit of fear. Therefore, the Bible teaches us to come boldly to the throne of grace, to just rush in because you're freely accepted there. You're a child of God. My children were never intimidated. They rush in and they tell me, Dad, can I have? <laughs> and you, you fill in the blank. Can I have? I would say, well, no, not right now. And they would press it a little bit more. Dad, but I need it. And I, no, not right now. Press it a little more. Okay. <laughs> because I learned that when I say no, they spell it G-O, go. <laughs> and they just grind on you and grind on you and grind on you. I don't think our Father in heaven minds being ground on. He chooses us to be persistent, to come boldly to the throne of grace, to tell him our wants and our desires. It's a golden nugget. We have a spirit that cries, Abba, Father. I love it when Josh comes on the phone and he calls me once or twice a week. and Hey, Dad, what you doing? But it's Dad. Hey, Dad. And then Allison. I think uh, we fathers are kind of partial to our daughters. She'll say, Daddy. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Daddy. Do you think God does not love Daddy? You don't think he doesn't love Abba, Father? The gratitude that comes from the heart, that loving bond that you have in him through Jesus Christ. Well, one third nugget. End of the, the chapter. And I'll call it the nugget of assurance. And I'll introduce it this way. I'll tell you about Bill Shantz, and I'll tell you about Armando Valdespino, and I'll tell you about Richard Thayer. I I was really a late bloomer. So when I was in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and even the ninth grade, I just got picked on all the time as a little guy. And I was a mark. But when I hung out with those three guys... They were big guys, and they really liked me. So I knew if I stayed close to them, uh, I had some assurance. (laughs) That was kind of the safety zone. And I got to thinking about that this morning. I was saying, Lord, I need need an illustration. Oh, I think that story would work. Because there's somebody known as the Father. There's somebody known as the Son. There's somebody known as the Holy Spirit. It is the triune God and if God be for you, who can be against you? He who spared not his own son, how shall he not freely through him give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
Is it God who has justified you? Is it Jesus Christ who died for you and who is at the right hand of the Father advocating for you? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? I want to read the last portion of this text, but I want to show you something first. That's my nugget ring, okay? And there's, there's a story behind the story. I'm a serial wedding ring loser. <laughs> and uh, the first one uh, I had for about three years, and I was playing golf. And when you play golf and you have the golf glove on, the, the, the ring's a nuisance. So you take it off, and you put it in one of the pockets in the golf bag. I did that forever and ever, put my car keys there. I'm, it's nice and safe. And one day I got through playing golf, and my ring wasn't there. Now I have to face Miss Anita. <laughs> you lost what? <laughs> well, I didn't mean to. And Well, why did you take it off? And then you have your explanation. Uh, it doesn't go over well, but <laughs> life happens. <laughs> so we replace it with another simple gold band, because I just like simple gold bands. And uh, so uh, I'm water skiing on Lake Shasta. And I don't know if you notice this, but when you get cold, in the water, your fingers shrink. <laughs> and I got a life vest on, and that ring falls off my finger, and I see it going down in the water like this, and I dive to get it, but I come up like a cork. <laughs> so someplace on the bottom of, Mount, uh, of Lake Shasta is my second wedding ring. Third wedding ring, <laughs> another water story. This time I'm whitewater rafting. And I forget to take my ring off and put it in a safe place. At some place along the, the rapids there, we get hung up on a rock. So being the hero that I am, I bail out of the boat and push it off, the raft and push it off and then get back on. And when I get into shore, I realize that my ring is gone. It has fallen off in the water. Now this nugget ring was given to me by my mom about five years before she died. And it was when she liked it. She really liked it, but it was a woman's ring. And uh, she said, I'd just like you to have this ring. This ring has in it three little diamond chips. And then Anita had a ring problem, so I'm not the only one that has a problem. And the, the engagement ring I gave her, uh, I mean, the, yeah, the engagement ring I gave her 62, well, 63 years ago now, it had a, a solitaire and then a diamond on each side. Well, we lost this, the, the main diamond out of the set of rings. And by that time, we'd been married about 30 years or so. So we said, well, let's get some new rings. So what to do with the old rings? Well, one, one had, it was a single band with four diamonds in it. And then we had this with the, had the solitaire missing. So I thought, well, there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have my mom's ring sized. And I'll, 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 Get it, I'll, is it okay if I wear that as a wedding ring? So I had those two extra little diamonds put in there. So I have five diamonds in this ring. And one day I got to thinking about how precious this ring is to me. It's a memory from my mom, the woman that gave me birth and loved me. It's my commitment to my wife, Anita, that I love so dearly. Those bigger diamonds 
That's Allison and Josh. Those are my kids. And those little chips, chips off the old block. <laughs> those are my grandbabies. I've got three of them that were born to my family. So I, I really watch out for this ring. And, and if it's not in the drawer where it belongs, I go into a panic. Where's the nugget? Where's the nugget ring? I've given you three nuggets today, dear folks, that you can cling to. Your God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? So let me take the glasses off so I can read. Because I, I want to close out with this. Listen to these words. Let them get down well deep inside of you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, but nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.